0: Good Shabbos. Shalom Aleichem. I'm ripping these so fast. Enjoy this episode. We're going to to go and get into a book. I know it's been TikTok stuff for a long time. You Are the Placebo by Joe Dispenza. Let's do it. All right, folks, we're going to get right into this book summary, and this is going to be a little different than my typical podcast because it's truly summarizing the book as if you'd read it. So it starts off telling a ton of stories about people's experiences with placebos. So he really wants you to understand the point of placebos and how not even like how they work scientifically, but just like stories of people experiencing them. So you believe that they are true. He's he discusses something later. He says we feel something on the inside, say like a headache. So we do something else to feel something new. This altered feeling is taught to us as a feeling better than the one before we have a new belief and we start firing that Nat, um, the, uh, neural pathway, which Dispenza calls conditioning this, this, I hope you guys didn't just let that go over your head. You have a headache. You take something. Okay. To feel something different. You get an altered feeling other than the headache. Okay. Any So whatever is in that drug, whether it's sugar or an actual stimulant or downer or opioid, you name it, something in that you took into the body is going to change your feeling does not matter the feeling. Remember that. And that altered feeling was better than the one before. Now you have a belief. And remember, this could be literally sugar, nothing, whatever. We have a new belief and that belief creates a new neural pathway, a new highway in our brain that leads us to pain relief and if we take something in our body and when we take it in our body it and notice okay i'm jumping but notice he says the word conditioning conditioning is extremely interesting because guess what proved conditioning pavlov's dogs pavlov's dogs created saliva when it heard a bell because it was conditioned because at first it took food in when it heard the bell And then without the food, it still was conditioned that Bell meant prepare for food. So when we extrapolate, you're conditioned that when you take a pill and feel the pill go inside your body, the the pathway starts to fire, even though nothing happened. That's conditioning. That is why placebos exist. really cool. Anyways, now you know the science behind placebos. He then goes on to say, same thing happens with what is to come. So a.k.a. a doctor tells us with enthusiasm something's going to help us. We've had relief in the past. Therefore, as long as we believe that relief is coming, the nat- the neural pathway is triggered by a separate neural pathway. There's a one neural pathway triggers another neural pathway. Joe Dispenza says it's like needing water in a water pump. And first, you have to pump the, the water in order to kickstart the flow. That's what he says. There's like a water pump and to kickstart the whole flow of water. Anyways, then he discusses how people's lives don't actually change because we have the same thoughts leading to the same choices, leading to the same actions, leading to the same experience, which leads to the same feelings and your feelings lead back to the same thoughts and that continues the feedback loop. When we need new thoughts and states of being, we change that loop. Uh, This made me think of free will and nature versus nurture, actually. We think we have control of our thoughts and info, but we don't. Only a preset list of options. However, we don't choose that list, only what's available on the list. And that's why free will is philosophical, nature and nurture is philosophical, because it's like, okay, is having free will being able to choose from a list someone else created? Is that free will? Or is free will choosing the list for yourself? Anyways, and so it's just interesting because if we have a feedback loop and a person says, oh, well, I can change my choices in the information I take in. Well, okay, you can only change the info and choices you were given. So there you go. But anyways, that is in essence how you change yourselves. That's how you change your life. As you can see, this is classic self-help stuff. Um, So if this is making you roll your eyes, I'd just cut the podcast right now. (laughs) Anyways, mice in a study... That had family and toys in their cage had larger brains than those without those things. Studies showed that having more to think about in life made the brain larger. So I thought of Scott Thompson moving to Vancouver, and a bunch of other people who traveled. And you know, I have a buddy who moved to Northern uh, Northern Ireland. I have a buddy who moved to Hawaii. I think of all the others who have fascinating lives, full of hobbies and jobs and diverse peers, and how their brains are literally growing just from that. So anyways, Joe Dispenza, he believes that our unconscious program minds run our life. Not just subconscious, unconscious, purely unconscious program minds, the ones that are habitual. When we want to change but fall back into old habits, he says that the unconscious part is is to blame. That's how we can be aware of it. Why would we self-sabotage if we knew changing is better for us? Why do we self-sabotage? And that's exactly the question that leads us to the answer to the our program, the unconscious habits that keep us alive because our ego says what we did yesterday kept us alive today, so we might as well keep doing it. But even if we, in our heart we've been told to want something else, survival will always take over. The soul, you cannot beat your soul and you cannot beat the will to live. That is really hard to beat. So anyways, he goes on to say, it's because our unconscious and subconscious control us more than the conscious does, right? The, our unconscious likes familiar, familiar is safe, and it feels good. We're ingrained to feel good and not bad. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here as human beings. So then I, I commented here. Let's see what I put from way. This is a long time ago that I read this book. He didn't discuss that the feeling is because of natural selection. This is what I'm saying to myself right now. We have a will to live. So yeah, natural selection is everything, people. That Literally, everything we construct that's all poetic comes down to just the will to live. We just want to keep multiplying our cells. Our species has survived all these years thanks to the self-sabotaging unconsciousness that only wants hedonism. This is why I'll continue saying that the power of now, if the root to the meaning of, oh, is, not if, is, the power of now, which is Eckhart Tolle's book that you should all read, It's the root to the meaning of all these prerequisite self-help books. I mean that. I really mean that. power of now is the prerequisite. It's the root of all these self-help. When I learn things from these books and ask, why are we wanting to live so bad that we sabotage? Tolly always answers it with philosophy. The ego. God or the universe wanting to experience itself, maybe. Using different dimensions to connect the same catalyst, essence. I say that specifically because we use... Maybe the universe is using different dimensions. Like, why is it we self sabotage Why is it we have a will to live? That's what this whole question is. Why do we have a will to live? Maybe it's again, the universe using different dimensions because yes, we can only comprehend our five to six senses. So maybe there's different dimensions out there and maybe the universe uses those different dimensions to connect to the same catalyst essence. Remember, a catalyst is something that kickstarts. It's the start of something. The essence is something that just is. Essence is like just, the backdrop that never changes it the essence so the catalyst essence is the unmanifested is the contrast to the physical world therefore maybe the universe uses different dimensions to connect to the catalyst essence same way yin yang connects when you are experiencing a contrast you are connecting to the opposite like ice being water and steam different fabrics of reality But same material exists. Pretend ice has its own consciousness. Same with steam and water, okay? Pretend. The molecule H2O, it's like God. That's the molecule. It's it's the same in all of them. We're all connected with everything on an atomic level. The difference, though, is that the H2O looks different in steam, ice, water. And so we, we create constructs saying, nope, they're different. They're different. Yep, totally different. When in reality, it's all the same we are all the same what's what's between three atoms though that sorry what's between the atoms so what's between the atoms so those atoms they might we're all atoms yeah but what is between them maybe that nothingness there is god right maybe whatever's between atoms has its own consciousness in a different universe and is searching for us calling us god this is deep okay this is getting really deep i'm really glad we're going here We say we have a God and we worship the opposite to us, right? The opposite to the physical. What if they look up to us as God, right? Isn't that interesting the contrast? Maybe they think we created them, but in reality, yin yang theory created opposites, aka these concepts. Yin yang theory created both of us at the same time. So maybe it's the nothingness that created our polarity that is God, truth, and essence. The nothingness created polarity. We're polar. The physical world we live in and the non physical unmanifested world with no nothing that we have, no time and space. That's polarity. So maybe nothing has created that polarity. That is God, truth, and essence. Toly says God's unmanifested. You can't manifest a concept creating two manifestations. There isn't a physical thing called yin yang theory, right? This that that thought is constructed, but that's why it isn't real it's just a signpost that whole concept of signpost it's like when you have a sign of the park you don't actually experience the park you're just getting a a contraction of the park you're getting an interpretation of the park not the real thing you can never get the real thing unless you're in it and you can't bring that to anyone it's only you that can experience the real thing the moving on The real concept is the thing that acts quantum, quantum living is not the atom nor the space between them while being the atoms and the space between them. <laughs> so that's the real cool thing to me that the real concept of godliness essence, the being just nothingness. It acts quantum living is nor the atom or the space between them while simultaneously being the atom in the space because it's nothing. It's just nothing. That's, and, and, and it's the signpost concept because the second I start to tell you it's nothing, it becomes something. So it's a paradox. And so truly it's just within, it is within deeper behind the manifested. When I say a word to say you, oh, it's nothing that I've manifested that word because at some point that word was an idea and it was manifested the things that can never be manifested that is truth that lasts forever is not created never destroyed that's why it's real and it's true yeah um like silence and a pitch and i've said this in the last episode but sound if sound lasted forever it'd be the same as silence the only reason silence and sound exists is because there's a start and end to both uh, anyways and yeah so let let that resonate and let that sink in that is some really deep 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 stuff there Going back to this book, he discusses neuroplasticity. That's when our brain is moldable and we're we're always able to mold it. Feeling creates thinking and thinking creates feeling. Remember that. Hence the feedback loop that I was just getting into. We have receptor sites in our brain and our messenger cells pair with these sites when it matches with the cells via hormones or feelings. Whenever you have feelings, that's typically driven by a hormone. Okay. Fun fact. We then make a new protein to release into the body and build up our DNA and RNA with those proteins. As Joe says, now the body's being trained by the mind. Isn't that interesting? Our mind creates DNA and RNA, so we're training our body by the mind. No different than if our mind told us to run up a hill. Like, like picture, our, when it, when I say through the word training, I literally mean training. Imagine a coach saying, run up the hill. What's gonna happen? That person's gonna gain muscle mass. When our mind sends messenger cells to create new DNA and RNA, our mind is doing this with feelings and hormones. Now it's telling our RNA and DNA, in essence, to build muscle. It's saying, run up the hill, DNA and RNA, run up the hill. And guess what happens? It changes. That's the neuroplasticity part. It changes. It builds muscle. So our mind, our emotions, because our mind kind of triggers hormones, uh, they work together it builds up DNA and RNA that's crazy like we train so he says now the body is being trained by the mind hot take by Joe but when the same genes are activated over and over it's like gears in a car being used again and again our genes get worn out and we age I, I said here I kind of disagree lots of outliers like my Zadie my grandfather by the way yeah he's an outlier you know he hasn't lived the healthiest life but he's old he's 92 and uh, so some people they are outliers to what he just said there about when when we yeah when when the same genes are activated over and over it's like grinding gears that's why he throughout this book he talks about just changing everything like don't brush your teeth with the same hand take different routes read different stuff talk different ways like yeah and that you'll be younger that way apparently so he also says two things occur. More docking stations are made for our genes. If we don't satisfy those stations, our brain makes us crave the void, and that can be good if it's a healthy habit. Uh, the second... Oh, I don't think... Okay, only one thing then occurs. There. Anyways, however, it can be bad if the habit is bad. <laughs> yes, yeah, no shit. For example, yelling at a dog after a day or getting more worried and anxious than usual. At this point, the body's controlling the mind. And that really does tie into Eckhart Tolle there. Apparently, so Joe says 95% of us are sub or unconscious by the time we're 35. So 35 that's a hot take too. He says most people are subconscious or unconscious by 35 just going off programming without being aware of the programming. Very interesting. He uses the example of public speaking fear. And that someone who wants to to not be scared of, of that can't help the sub or unconscious programming from a lifetime prior this is interesting actually um let me just say this i like, guess this is super uh, i'm not going to cut this up this is kind of just raw it is i don't know i have a hard time believing about the 35 years old unconscious thing i have a really hard time believing that a lot of people are out there just super super unconscious hmm. yeah i guess it makes sense it is sad to think but i guess it makes sense about people just cruising uh anyways moving on moving on He says it takes time, but can be fixed with new neural pathways, a.k.a. perspective shifting. Yeah, it's true. Something I'm sure I'll talk about it here, but I'll never forget this book. The one thing that stood out, I tell people all the time to this day, when you experience a new heightened emotion, higher than the old one, that's when you start to change your neural pathways. That blew my mind. For example, let's put put this in an example. A person's driving every day and they don't live far from work. They want to walk. Well, there's going to be at some point a heightened right now, emotionally, they're okay with it. At some point there'll be an emotional response higher than the one they get wanting to drive. And that's when they'll start walking. They're not going to walk when their emotional response is lower than that of driving. So for example, they think of driving, they say, Oh, walking's gonna be such a schlep. So they drive. See, that's an emotional response. That's why they drove is because they're just listening to hormones now and neural pathways. Now one day, they're gonna get a, 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 an emotional response, a hormone that is higher than the old one. And remember I told you about the DNA RNA thing? The DNA and RNA are gonna start building new branches, new whatever, they're gonna start building up more foundation than before. Starting that new neural pathway because now the emotional response is higher than the old one and it's gonna take over. And now we've got a stronger pathway and that literally a person's genes are changing and you can't when your genes change that's the programming like you can't fight that it's very hard to fight and it was all due to an emotional response based off and it comes down to the philosophy i preached before that's why i went off on a philosophical tangent is because it all comes down to like belief and like what people have programmed into your caregivers earlier so whatever a caregiver and environment has given you earlier hence nature versus nurture you then will have an emotion response to something because maybe someone didn't teach you to be scared of walking and you just drive the rest of your life hence you know 95 of people just keep doing the same shit their entire life and then that five percent that's like you know i gotta question this because someone taught them to question it that was part of their environment that was part of the um, uh, programming which is like a paradox it's like a programming paradox so, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways. And, and there you go. So height and response, DNA and RNA create new branches and then, uh, and the brain creates new neural pathways and there you go. Now they're walking instead of driving and they're literally changing their life in their body. So our genes change when our mind changes. That's what's crazy. That's what he, this whole book is telling you like, yes, you will literally change your genes in your body and your, your epigenetics will change when you start to change your mind. That's what's crazy. He uses the example of, oh, I already said that. Um, yeah da, da 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 Joe finishes. Yeah, okay. Feelings and emotions are the end product of past emotions. That's kind of trippy. Those trigger a feedback loop and Joe calls this conditioning. We condition ourselves when we re- re- repeat feelings and emotions, like Pavlov's dogs, which have us repeating behavior and outcomes which we call our personality. Our mind and body are on that affect each other. Are on that and affect each other big time. Isn't that crazy that we call when we repeat behavior and outcomes over and over that becomes our personality. Your thoughts becomes your personality. There's a saying that when you change your state of being, you change your personality, which changes your personal reality. I love that. So anyways. Joe finishes the chapter with a message to those thinking that they're a slave to their past and that they can't change. He says, one thought will kickstart a change to the autonomic nervous system. That will change everything else down the ripple effect. So the public speaker whose environment makes them have a different thought will feel a different emotion, which will eliminate some fear and have them change behavior, and they will physically do something different to then create a new behavior, which will create a newer, uh, change the outcome. So that's like, that's a prime example, right? They, the public sphere changes environment or thought and, and the environment changed which means the information changed, which means that whole ripple effect on DNA, RNA changed. Okay, moving on. So now time to question this. This is my comments, by the way, because I, I always put in italics, my, uh, comments. Let's question this sounds nice and all, but I'm not convinced we have free will. Oh, here we go. Our environment has to trigger a new thought. Okay, We don't control our environment. And the environments we can control are only possible thanks to inspiration from pre-existing environments with pre-existing information. So this book telling someone to change their thoughts was only possible be, excuse me, because of their environment. Lots of folks don't have the chance and never will have the chance to read this or listen to this podcast I'm talking about or reread the book. Is it chicken or the egg? Like, Do we have control of our environment and consumption of information or do we only have perceived control and we actually don't get any control over any info in our lives very interesting especially the part when i mentioned i like that part when I, it's like it's so true about uh the environments we control are only only possible thanks to pre-existing environments with pre-existing info That's the only reason our environments exist today so like do we have free will i don't know other people created our environment that's the thing other people created our environment that's the craziest part about this Next chapter is all about DNA and RNA epigenetics. So my podcast on biology of belief, by the way, really old. It talks all about epigenetics. I read a book all about this, all about placebos. It is really interesting. Epigenetics, by the way, is let's say someone lifts a lot of weight, so they build muscle. Well, your ch- child's more likely to have some muscle. And then that child is more likely to give muscle to their child. So that's epigenetics. It's like one what didn't used to be genetic all of a sudden became genetic because of behavior and patterns and neural pathways, etc both biology of belief and this book made me make make controversial claims that a very small percentage of our health issues are genetic that's what both books say that a small percent of health issues are genetic you know like again i can see both sides of that i can see both sides of that but and i've been seeing a lot of videos lately about how processed and shitty our food is in north america so to be honest like I, i do lean more on that side now but anyways Twin studies suggest a lot of this, by the way, about the 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 non-genetic side of this, that like your behaviors dictate everything. Stress. This book says stress is the worst thing for you. So go meditate and de-stress and use coping mechanisms. He says to use the same principles for eliminating stress. And that is to start with a thought. The thought kickstarts everything. Studies are referenced to suggest proper meditation, mind, body exercises and relaxation techniques to improve health. They weren't long studies either, only eight weeks, and they improved health scores in just eight weeks. So go do those things. Meditate, exercise, relax through healthy coping. The more analytic we get, the less likely we believe a suggestion. Isn't that interesting? So Joe says when we're stressed in survival mode or fight or flight, we're very analytical all the time. We survive during hard times by being wary and attentive to every possible outcome. It's hard to change our genes with new thoughts because our our new thought is a suggestion. It's just a suggestion. That's very interesting. That's why it's hard to change. It's just a suggestion. And that's why we push it away. Joe says when we meditate, oh, and going back a second, by the way, the suggestion, you know, person smoking, that's killing them. But their body knows yesterday they did it. And so they must have been alive when they were doing it. And they're going to be alive today when they do it. Because when we're dead, we don't no longer have this soul to connect to our consciousness and everything. So anyways, um, the suggestion's right. Because like everything's truth. Everything we did in the past keeps alive today is truth. If we suggest something new that we should do in the future, it is no longer truth. It is the unknown and the unknown resembles death to our ego and the ego rejects it immediately. It's a threat to the ego. Our ego feels threatened. And so we're never going to let a threat in that potentially kill it, even though we know that the ego resurrects or at least people, I know that but not a lot of people do. When you know that, you're more likely to take these suggestions because you know your ego will just resurrect, everything will be a-okay. So anyways, moving on Joe says when we meditate, we aren't in our analytical mind anymore because it doesn't operate in the present moment when we meditate. We've gone deeper to the subconscious. The analytical mind doesn't work in the present moment. That's what's crazy that's why we need peace. The analytical mind stops us from being less stressed. If you have a new thought that gives you more emotional energy than the old ones. Like I just said earlier, OK, this is a, the neurons will wire faster and old ones will die faster, hence changing your brain, DNA, RNA and neural pathways. That's mind blowing. So you need an emotional response higher than your old one. Joe says when we change our state, a.k.a. changing beliefs and heighten heightening emotions, we are spinning our atoms faster. Literally, we are moving. Uh, we sorry. We, we are more wave, less particle. Okay, when we move atoms faster, think we have these waves like a frequency, right? Think of a heartbeat or some frequency up, down, up, down, up, down. We are less particle, more wave when we, when we change beliefs and heighten emotions. This makes it easier to change frequency when we aren't dense in particles. This is change. And it makes me wonder if this is why we sense vibes. We sense the same frequency as someone else, right? And we say, oh, I click with them. I don't know why. That's probably why it's our, we're vibrating at the same rates. And when we vibrate faster at the same rates, we're, we're more likely as it says to change. We're not, when we're dense in particles, we're not moving, whatever. We're less likely to change <laughs> simple as that. Cause things can't change as easily. They can't move around as easily uh, when they're dense and not moving. Right? Yeah, anyways, um that I lost the book, so I couldn't even finish it. But it, it seemed like the where when I was I was near the end and it turned into a lot of case studies and a lot of like shameless plugs of his course. So I'm I'm not mad that I finished at this point. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed that. A little bit longer of a podcast, but I'm not even I don't even care because really dense information here. And I know I speak kind of fast. It's because this would get pretty boring if I just went lecture style super slow. Plus it's just listen to it again. If some of this is trippy, I really enjoyed this. Wow. I forgot how good that book was. This is why I like doing this stuff. This is why I write all this down. So I do not forget. It. I have it stored forever. Mark my words. I'm going to write a book one day just because I have so much information on self-help, like so much that I could just regurgitate, regurgitate, regurgitate and help a lot of people. Folks. This is awesome. I love doing this. I love doing this. It's such a good way to let my brain go. Like all of this gets stuck in my head and I just annoy people. If I, if I don't put it out on this podcast, So thank you for being that outlet for me. Take care, folks. Love you. Shalom Aleichem. Good Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. My goyim. Enjoy your Friday. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, rate and review five stars. Uh, If you're listening on Spotify, share it all your friends, homies. Enjoy. Take care. I love you all. Bye.